Welcome to the October 2nd, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. It is bound to be a good show. Trust me on this one. Let's get a quick take on Denver-based Frontier Airlines being ranked as the fifth most profitable airline in America, seventh in the world, bringing in $54 million in revenue just this summer. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, I think a lot of the... Um, Local folks that love Frontier as the, the animal airline and everything else saw it become this ultra-low-cost airline, and we're saddened, and we thought, boy, people will be leaving in droves. Obviously, folks are not leaving in droves. Your thoughts? Well, I think you charge $7 for a seat here, $15 for a seat there. Soon it adds up. No one was sadder than I when the old, old Frontier went away, and then the second Frontier went away, and the most recent incarnation has gotten a big case of the greedies, but I flew it, just flew back this week, and it was great from New York City. And the, there is one thing free on Frontier, which is the entertainment as you watch people try to carry something on without paying for it, and they get beaten up at the gate by the gate agent. Free and always entertaining. <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Are you surprised at the uh, positive revenue performance of Frontier? Absolutely, but it shows that in this diverse uh, free market, there is a model for an airline to succeed with extremely hostile and angry uh, personnel meeting you every step of the way, getting charged for everything. You know, you know eventually they're going to put a credit card swipe on the bathroom door and it's going to be $5 to use that. But obviously there is a market segment that wants that. You know, some people kind of like it when you're, you're rough and mean to them. And, you know, it feels, oh, it's kind of builds character. They don't want this like... Uh, I'm flying Singapore Airlines and like everybody's really nice and, and friendly and trying to make it a good experience. It's like, no, you, you, you flew Frontier. You, you've accomplished something. You, you made it through that. <laughs> Eric Sonner, political <laughs> analyst. Is Frontier now becoming a badge of honor because people can say they've, they've survived the, the, the journey? I mean, as David's talking, I'm getting a picture of the Bataan Death March <laughs> or something, uh, something like that. I think what he's describing, uh, I call bottom feeding, and there's a market for, uh, in any industry, there's going to be a bottom feeder. Unfortunately, that has become Frontier. They've come up with a revenue model that works. There's an inverse correlation between service and revenue here, and as service is withered, they've obviously been able to jack the revenues up. So I guess, you know, good for them if that's the, if that's the game. Ben Gelt, political consultant, joins us again. Uh, if this has made so much money, do you think others are going to try to follow this model? Well, they're following models that already existed. Their ownership group owns another ultra-low-cost carrier, Spirit Airlines. You know, I think Colorado has a certain nostalgia for what Frontier used to be, but clearly consumers nationally and uh, to some degree internationally are showing they don't care. They want cheap fares and they want to go places. And I think really at the end of the day, Denver consumers want the same things, and we're going to keep flying them until they change their rates. Arapahoe County District Attorney George Brockler announced this week that he does not plan to run for the U.S. Senate. The announcement puts an end to months of speculation and forces the Colorado GOP to keep looking for a high-profile candidate. Uh, Patty, this was big news this week, especially because I think there are a lot of folks in the Colorado Republican Party that were really pinning their hopes to Brockler being that high-profile U.S. Senate candidate to go against Michael Bennett in 2016. Now that we know he won't be the person, what do you think the reaction is going to be? 
Well, I think the Colorado Republicans are going to have to look pretty low to find a high-profile candidate. Brockler was their best hope right now, and he's a very, no matter how you feel about his politics, really personable guy. This table would have loved a race between Michael Bennett and George Brockler. Bennett's a smart campaigner, and it would have been a really interesting race. It's not a surprise totally that Brockler went decided against it. He's got a young family. That commute from Washington isn't easy. He can run for another um, another term as the DA. The names you're now hearing are really fascinating because Tim Neville, uh, who announced yesterday conservative, leaves a lot of room in the Republican Party for someone else to jump in. The most interesting one I've heard lately is Dan Kaplis is looking again at a race. Uh, Dan Kaplis would certainly at least bring some name recognition. I'm and not sure. more for us to talk about yeah, at absolutely. this table. Absolutely. It's, it's still going to be a lot of fun for this table of 2016. David, uh, whether it be Dan Kaplis or somebody else, do you think there is a threat to Michael Bennett that is out there in the Republican Party? The threat to Michael Bennett is named Barack Hussein Obama and the $100 billion deal to transfer frozen Iranian assets to the Iranian regime knowing with, with certainty that they're going to be used to support terrorism uh, throughout the Middle East and against the United States. Uh, you don't have to win a race by having some guy who's a, a star like Cory Gardner. I mean, certainly that is helpful. But look at Iowa. Uh, Joni Ernst was not in Iowa well-known at this stage in the cycle. She was just a, state, uh, a fairly new state legislator, ran a great race, uh, it, it turns out that, that hog castration is, is really one of the unifying issues in Iowa. Uh, and so... It's Another reason I'm glad I'm in Colorado. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it's completely possible that there could be a uh, state legislator or a DA or wh whatever, a county commissioner for that matter, who could come and run and do a good race. Now, that, that person will have, at least initially, more trouble raising national money because of their name recognition. But as Joni Ernst and, and many other uh, senators have shown over the years, you, you can overcome that with a strong campaign and win. And once you, you show you're viable, the, the money will come in. Eric, some of the national pundits believe that Michael Bennett is a vulnerable Democrat Senate candidate, at least uh, among the other Senate Democrats running for re-election in 2016. But is he really vulnerable in Colorado with his, what he's done, his reputation? Do you think he's as vulnerable as the national pundits believe he is? I haven't thought that for some period of time. I, thought, I think if he was as vulnerable as some national pundits are suggesting, the Republicans in 2016 have a lot of Senate seats around the country to defend. They see only two potential pickup opportunities. One is in Nevada, the, the Harry Reid seat, and the other one being the Bennett seat in Colorado. I've never quite bought into that thinking for a whole host of reasons. One is I think Michael Bennett is better situated than Mark Udall was. 2016 is a presidential year. Democrats do substantially better in presidential years than they do in off years. 2014 was as good a year as Republicans are going to see in a long time. Cory Gardner is a one-of-a-kind candidate off of that bench. They don't, as John Caldera, our friend, says, that they don't have a bench. They have a folding chair on the Republican Party. We're seeing that uh, in terms of lack of other viable candidates here. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, Cory Gardner won a reasonably close race. It was less than two points when everything was counted, about 1.9 points. And Michael Bennett is now getting more secure as it goes, as the potential candidates, starting with Mike Kaufman, then George Brockler, uh, pass on this race. I think if he was really vulnerable, 
Cory Gardner was able to read a poll, and he was able to take the pulse of the state and the country, and he decided, he's a cautious guy, and he said, 2014 is my year to roll the dice. You don't see Mike Kaufman, you don't see George Brockler saying, hey, 2016 is the year, and in Brockler's case, I think he made a very calculated decision that 16 is not his year, 18 is the year, the governor's race is probably the play in 18. I think we're looking for a, a hot Republican primary 2018, probably between Walker Stapleton and, and George Brockler. That's the action. Bennett, you know, I'm not sure he wants to sign a long, long-term lease in Washington, but uh, I'm not sure he should necessarily shy away from that as well. Ben, if you're on the campaign team for Michael Bennett, is maybe not the time to pop the champagne, but you at least gear down knowing that it's going to be a little bit easier fight, or do you still expect someone big to come out and be a potential opponent? I don't think they'll be able to gear down at all. I, I think they are rightly anticipating a big fight. You know, Eric correctly pointed out that the, nationally the Republicans see two opportunities for pickup, and they're not going to uh, be nice just because maybe they don't have what we perceive as a top-tier candidate. So I think Bennett will have to fight hard. I think one of the things about Colorado, and certainly we all know this, there's a, there's a huge number of independent voters, and there's a constant need for p politicians from both sides of the aisle to make their case to the people and, and restate it. And I think, you know, as the other uh, panelists have pointed out also, there's still a lot of time between now and the election. Other people can emerge um, who can certainly be viable. Walker Stapleton is a name that maybe could come out of the woodwork and run for Senate. You know, there will be enticements from D.C. There will be local people pushing. You know, I think right now Neville is looking at this situation and saying, very good, he looks today to be, uh, to have a great shot to be the nominee, but that can change. So I don't think Bennett is taking any breaths uh, and won't be for about a year plus. <laughs> Calling Colorado the nation's funhouse mirror, mini-me, a schizophrenic state of political contradictions, Newsweek Magazine's next issue will analyze Colorado politics. The cover of the magazine will feature a headline of God, Guns, and Ganja. David, this not only proves that Colorado is a, a bellwether state, but it also proves that Newsweek is still in business. So two, two good things. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the big announcement and their title of Colorado as this schizophrenic uh, bellwether? Another anthropological piece by an East Coast journalist who comes in, does interviews with the fascinating yet bizarre natives, and then sums it up for the civilized people in the Boston-Washington corridor. Uh, she's been working on this piece since July. I've been emailed with her and, and on stuff. There's still some basic stuff that is kind of surprisingly wrong, like she says concealed handgun, licensed concealed handgun carry isn't allowed in Denver, which of, of course it is and has been by statewide law since 2003. Her morality tale is she first goes out and looks at all the evil right wing and, and she makes sure to select the, the most extreme targets, uh, the Air Force Academy unnamed people who are the Christian uh, aggressive proselytizers, uh, Bob Enyart, the uh, extreme far-right radio host, and, and Dudley Brown, and presents them as one thing, but then the, the happy ending is focus on the family, teamed up with Ted Trimpa, the, the gay rights lobbyist, uh, to work together on a human trafficking bill, and this was passed the state legislature, and this shows that really it's compromise, and the, the balance of power in Colorado is based on those independent libertarian-ish uh, immigrant voters, which is 
true. What she doesn't understand is she's presenting this as, oh, what an interesting revelation. That's been the situation in Colorado for at least four decades. That's among the reasons why, for example, in 1978, a Republican landslide nationally, Dick Lamb, our Democratic governor, got reelected pretty handily because he was seen as one of these independent, pragmatic guys. And whereas Democratic Senator Floyd Haskell had been called a national treasure by unpopular Democratic President Jimmy Carter, and that was the end of him. And he, the same voters that reelected reelected Lamb handily threw out Haskell in a landslide and, enact, and elected a pretty far-right guy, uh, William Armstrong. So her anthropological analysis of our strange mountain customs uh, really are nothing new. It's been the way Colorado's been for most people's memory. Eric, this particular analysis aside, do you think there are other pundits looking at Colorado as a model on that larger scale when they look at the presidential campaign, they look at Ohio, they look at Florida, other states that tend to say where the whole election is going to go? Is Colorado in that tier or is this an anomaly? No, it's not an anomaly. Colorado is definitely at the, in that tier. We are at the epicenter of the political debate in this country. We're there for two reasons. One is we are a swing state. We are a purple state. We're a, a key to the Electoral College, even though Florida and Ohio have several times as many electoral votes as we do. We are still a, a, a key state. Secondly, it makes good copy. And reporters love to come here. Would you rather spend your July or August in Columbus, Ohio, or in Denver, Boulder, and Aspen, Colorado? Ask yourself uh, that question. We make good copy. The marijuana piece certainly makes for good copy. And, we, we, you know, we've been on the cutting edge of a lot of social developments. Uh, it probably makes for better television for me to completely disagree with David, and sometimes I do on this issue. I can't. I found this article. Give him credit. Give Newsweek, and again, uh, who knew that they still existed? But give, give him credit for a great headline and a sensational headline that gets people to read it. I thought the article was overly sensational. I thought it was amateur, amateurly put together. Uh, David pointed out one factual error. And another one that captured uh, my attention was they talked about how the governor's office has been passed back and forth between the two parties here over and over again. And all of a sudden, I sort of thought that I knew a bit of Colorado political history. And in the last 44 years, we've had a grand total of one Republican governor, Bill Owens, who served eight years. It doesn't get passed. The Republicans could only wish it had been being passed uh, back and forth over all these uh, decades. So, uh, you know, again, just a glaring uh, factual error. They captured some interesting Colorado characters from Ted Trimpa to Jim Daly to Bob Enyart to Dudley Brown. Uh, but it was very sensationalized, as those characters are somewhat sensationalized characters. Ben, anything more than an alliterative headline? Well, I think it, it does reflect our status that we're no longer in flyover country here in Colorado. I think, um, you know, we do have elements of, of, of broader society that are here. You know, we were the first to legalize marijuana. We, um, unfortunately, were among the first to have one of the most sensational um, you know, public shootings at Columbine, and we've since had another at Aurora. So I think there are certain elements that, you know, of society that take place here that are very broadly reflective of what's going on everywhere. I, I, do, I did find the article to be sort of light on real detail or grit or, or any nuanced understanding of what's happening here. But I think that we have become a bellwether in that, you know, so many of our residents aren't from here. So we really aren't comprised uh, a majority of Coloradans. I saw an interesting map 
um, showing immigration in the United States, 41% of Coloradans were born in Colorado. So that means 59, 60% of people residing here didn't come from here. So, you know, the values that are here, the way that you see the elections, the number of independent voters is a reflection of what's going on elsewhere, and it's because the people here are from elsewhere. Patty, I think Newsweek can take a lesson from you. You have written more than your fair share of clever headlines. What did you think of Newsweek's offering? Well, they might have gone to Ohio if it weren't for the ganja, so they could get that third alliterative word. Soon. Soon. <laughs> yeah. Eric is absolutely right. People would much rather spend the summer in Colorado than in Ohio, which is why they're going to do, a, if you're picking a bellwether state, even though others qualify, you're going to come here. It's why the John Madain Ramsey case got so much more coverage here than, say, a murder might have in Kansas. Who doesn't want to come to Colorado over the Christmas holidays to go skiing and cover an event? So it's not a surprise that they would choose Colorado. It is catchy that the fact that the first state to legalize marijuana is here. We also happen to have God and Guns, which probably, what, 47 other states emphasize, too. So it's not, a com it's not completely unique to Colorado. We have our share of characters. They pick them out. They're not hard to find. This is not the first story that's emphasized our legalizing pot and will certainly not be the last. I think I get 10 requests a week for someone colorful to go talk to and to say, hey, walk down the 16th Street Mall, you'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of colorful people, Governor John Hickenlooper became the second high-ranking Colorado Democrat to voice doubt over Hillary Clinton's success into the, in the 2016 election. Joining former Governor Richard Lamb, Hickenlooper said that while she is still the most qualified, the email scandal may prove too big to overcome. Eric, uh, it's not that both Dick Lam uh, Richard Lamb and uh, Governor Hickenlooper are suddenly against Hillary Clinton. They're just voicing doubts. Are there enough people like this in other states voicing doubts that she really is at risk, or is she such a front-runner in the Democratic nomination race that it's, it's hers to, to lose? Yes and yes. She's still a prohibitive front-runner, and there are increasing doubts being... If they're not being voiced as, as audibly as Hickenlooper and Lamb voiced theirs, they're being voiced in a whole lot of private conversations, and it would not take very much to tip those private conversations uh, into public conversations. There is somewhere between, there's not yet full-blown panic on the Democratic side, but the problem with the Clintons is you're always dealing with what's in front of you, the scandal du jour. But you also never know what's around the corner uh, and, and, and what's still to come. In this case, the Department of Justice really holds the cards. Uh, I'm of the mind that uh, one reason Joe Biden is looking at this, whatever stage he is in his decision-making process, is if anyone's going to have access to information out of the Department of Justice, it's going to be the Obama White House. And, you know, he might know information that the rest of us are not privy to in terms of where the Justice Department is. Last comment on this is vis-a-vis uh, -vis John Hickenlooper, you know, all the speculation was that he's mounting a very aggressive candidacy for vice president. And I'm not sure the way you become <laughs> Hillary Clinton's vice president is uh, through exactly comments such as this. I would definitely agree there. I read that comment. It's like, well, he doesn't want to be vice president anymore. So that, that's uh, at least a good, uh, at least news there. Uh, ben, you've run a lot of campaigns while they'd be on the local side. This is as national side. What do you feel if you're in the Hillary camp and you see this from pretty high-ranking, respected Democrats in Colorado? This, these, these two probably are up there uh, when it comes to respect among uh, all kind of Coloradans, not just Democrats. Well, I think 
that they should be nervous. And, uh, you know, any campaign that announces a plan to be more spontaneous, I think, is, is <laughs> projecting clearly that they're not totally sure how to conduct themselves. And I, I think in this case with Hillary, you have a lot of the sort of older traditional Democratic power structure wringing their hands a little bit and, and expressing concern. I think when you look at some of the younger demographic, they're not really on the Hillary bandwagon as much. You certainly have folks um, uh, in the millennial group that want to see a female president, and that's a huge priority for some. But I, you know, my view, and I, I may be a little bit out of touch just because of age, and I, you know, the national politic is so hard to digest. But I think that Hillary is going to continue to have these problems because the brand, the Clinton brand, has so much baggage attached to it. As Eric said, there's there's what's happening now. There's what might come around the corner. And we all know that there's a huge history, and God knows what might come out of that history. So, you know, at least from my perspective, and I think the perspective of a lot of my peers, we'd like to see new blood. And I think that's part of why there was obviously so much enthusiasm for Obama. I think it's why you see so much enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders amongst younger generation. And we'll see what comes. I do think that Biden is looking at it closely. I suspect he does know more than the average person. And I think if he did get in, that he could capture some of what Hillary has and pull in some of the Bernie people. So I think it's bad for, for the Clinton campaign. Patty, just one more hurdle for the Clinton campaign to overcome, which is also part of their brand? Well, their brand has never been uh, forthrightness, so it's not a huge <laughs> surprise that they would have, you know, clear honesty, not not the issue. Hillary, as we know, has always been defensive from her early baking cookies comments, um, and, but every time she tries to account for this, you know, the server, I don't know how to wipe a server or whatever that, or whatever she said, she just... Um, that self-effacing doesn't become her either. I think we can say safely that the land of God's guns and ganja, they might have wiped off at this point if they know how to wipe. Uh, the interesting thing about Hillary right now is partly because Carly Fiorina is doing so well, people are feeling a little more free to say, you know, I don't have to like Hillary. The great thing about equality is you are free to both like a woman candidate for president and to say, I don't like this candidate, not because she's a woman, but just because there are a lot of flaws in that makeup, and her story is not holding together. You're here. David, wrap it up for us. Uh, Dick Lamb has a well-deserved reputation for saying what he thinks, regardless. Mm -hmm. um, Eric, who used to work in his administration, I probably made him cringe sometimes, but at least you, you knew where he stood. I think people like that about Bernie Sanders. Uh, two, even like with Reagan, you may not agree with him and you think it's kind of extreme, but at least he, he means what he says and says what he means and didn't have to have a focus group to decide how to spontaneously uh, have an emotion and, 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 and try to mimic uh, human behavior. Uh, for for uh, Governor Hickenlooper, uh, who endorsed Hillary early because, you know, it's sort of the safe thing and she seemed at the time the prohibitive favorite, uh, I'm not sure it was completely calculated, but it, it's sort of a sensible edging away and uh, Sanders, uh, Hickenlooper, Biden, Hickenlooper, or my, my dream ticket, Webb Hickenlooper, uh, I, I think he, he puts himself out there as a more independent guy, which is what the voters in general want, somebody who actually has judgment rather than just following the, 
the party line. And for clarification, just because we have some mixture of roles there, it's Jim Webb out of Virginia. Jim with, Webb. I get you. Right. Wellington Webb could not run on the ticket with Hickenlooper because they're both Wilma. from Colorado. Wilma could be a first president. Wilma, Female yes. president. But not with Hickenlooper. I'll tell you what, if, if it's Wilma versus Hillary, I'm putting a lot of money into donating and working for Wilma. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. But regardless of which Webb hits the White House, we called it right here in Colorado Inside Out. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. A really tough trial going on now in Denver District Court. Terrence Roberts, who had founded Prodigal Son, former gang member, had turned his life around, was turning around the Holly Square area, and then two years ago shot um, another gang member, a, a current gang member, at Holly Square and in self-defense, he says. But that guy's not testifying because he didn't like going on trial even though he was acquitted. Now Terrence Roberts is on trial, and it's just a sad chapter. David. The complete mess of Syria and the which is not just a problem for Syrians, but is a, a, a catastrophe for Europe and for the region. And there's a lot of criticism, much of a justifiable, of the foreign policy of, of President Obama's predecessor. But I can't look at any country in the Middle East or hardly anywhere in the world and say that the U.S. position is stronger today uh, than it was in January 2009. Eric. Didn't know David was going there. I'm going the same place. I don't care if you're left, right, Republican, Democrat. I think you have to be concerned and look askance at the foreign policy of this president. There is no adversary in the world who feels less secure these days than they did a number of years ago when Barack Obama took office. There is no ally, traditional ally in the world, who feels more secure and, 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 and more close to the United States, um, and whether it's the refugee crisis, which has many, uh, many uh, origins of it. I don't want to lay that all on Obama's doorstep, but uh, Russia's moved in to fill a void, and it's a shame that void exists. Ben. You know, um, I was really disappointed with the Boulder City Council for taking away the bike lane experiment that they started down uh, or up in Boulder. Uh, you know, we are fast growing here in the metro area. Boulder is certainly subject to that, and we need to do more to change how we use infrastructure and allow people to move around cities. And uh, I was really disappointed that they spiked an eight-month experiment after two months. Let's see something nice rather quickly. Happy 50th anniversary to Metropolitan State University, which provided this scarf. And I also had to say, great life of Donald Sewell, mm -hmm. who passed away this week. Life well lived. David. The panel talked about Katie Atkinson's passing last week. I want to just add she was the exemplar of a person who could work really hard on a political cause and still do it with a good, friendly spirit and understand that her opponents were her opponents but not evil enemies. Here, here. I second that, absolutely. Here, here, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Katie Atkinson, a, a close friend and a real loss. The publication, online publication, Health News Colorado, they've broken some really good stories over the years. It's been an important part of the local media scene. Their funders bailed on them, and uh, yesterday was their last day. And so particular kudos to Diane Carmen and Katie Kerwin McCrimmon, two really talented journalists. Ben. Uh, we have lost some titans uh, recently here in Colorado politics, and I also wanted to talk about Donald Sewell. Um, building the, uh, or getting the uh, performing arts complex built, uh, just an incredible legacy and institution for the city and someone that uh, directly or indirectly has touched all of our lives and um, we should uh, keep him in our thoughts. 
Absolutely. And I'll uh, add my kudos to what uh, Patty mentioned, the Metro uh, State 50th anniversary. They had a heck of a campaign putting it out there. I have to give them a lot of credit. Even as a Regis alum, and we're already at 138 years, had a little bit of work to go there, Metro, but a, a very cool campaign. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that you can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.